You are now listening to the Add 10 Gallons Concrete Podcast. Wait, the answer was Add 10 Gallons? Add 10 Gallons. My first thought was, we got to put Act Chill. Yeah, great. <laughs> Trucks on the, on the way. On the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. I've got two observations, uh, neither of which are really educated or well thought out. <laughs> which are like most of my observations are. There aren't a lot of problems on a job site that can't be solved with a sack full of biscuits. Today's episode of the Add 10 Gallons Concrete Podcast is brought to you by Actigel 208. Actigel 208 is a high-performance additive for the concrete industry that is greatly beneficial to the producer. It enables them to increase the percentage of manufactured sand by up to 100% and completely replace all the natural sand in the mix. In areas where natural sand is scarce, inconsistent, and expensive, this provides a huge benefit to any ready-mix company out there. Benefits of manufactured sand and concrete include consistent air content, improved compaction, and increased density. Now in the past, the downside of using manufactured sands was that they were hard to pump, hard to place, and hard to finish. Well, Actigel 208 solves all those issues. By improving suspension, stability, and the quality of the cement paste in the mix, Actigel overcomes the old issues with manufactured sand and leaves them behind. Let Actigel 208 improve the quality of your mix while saving money on every yard you produce. For more information, visit us at actigel.com. That's A-C-T-I-G-E-L.com. What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome into the Add 10 Gallons Concrete Podcast. I'm your host, Josh, and I'm usually joined by Joey and Paul. If you're new to the podcast, uh, Joey and Paul join me in this first session where we talk about current events, industry news, and anything else we deem prevalent or necessary. But uh, today I'm joined by the exact amount of people that Conor McGregor would like to apologize to. Absolutely nobody! And, uh, you know, I'm just going to have to ride this thing out by myself until we get to the interview portion of the show, uh, which is a good one. Uh, We have Scott Brown on the program today. Scott is from the Construction Technology Partners Company. Um, His partner, Zach Moorhead, and him, uh, they offer tech servicing and training to the construction industry. Really, Scott has a a wealth of knowledge and experience and a a very uh, in-depth and involved background. He's kind of been in all parts of the construction industry uh, at a very relatively young age. Uh, We talk about the highs and lows of building a business, uh, the perception versus reality of owning a small business and and running a successful one. You know, we also talk about what they do in their business and helping their customers, these these small to medium-sized contractors, be proactive instead of reactive by utilizing technology. They help with bidding jobs and help with surveying, help with uh, being efficient with technology, picking the right technology for the job, uh, not necessarily the the newest, shiniest product on the market, but, um, you know, picking out a piece of technology or a piece of hardware and software that's really going to make the job easier and and more cost-effective, more efficient, so on and so forth. And then, you know, we also kind of get into the future of software and, and where it's going and the adoption by OEMs and where we can see that progressing throughout the years. And, um, you know, we even, we talk about some other stuff as well. We, we talk about uh, how much caffeine is necessary uh, to be taking, especially late at night. We talk about gas station supremacy uh, and how that has evolved from basically a northern thing down to a southern thing. And, 
you know, we have some good laughs along the way. Scott was a great guest and, um, you know, really can't wait for you guys to get into it. But uh, before then, uh, we mentioned this in the interview, but uh, we also want to mention it here at the top of the show. Uh, we will be at Con Ag. This is our last recording before we go out to the Con Ag, uh, Con Expo out in Las Vegas this year. That's going to be the week of March 13th. That's a Monday, and it goes all week. Um, we'll be there Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. We'll have a camera and a microphone, and uh, we'll be doing a lot of the same things we did for the World of Concrete trade show, whereas we find interesting objects and technology and tools and, and things that help push the industry forward, uh, and we promote them on our platform. And we'll have a video element to that where you can see on our LinkedIn page and our YouTube page, and we'll also post the links on our other social media platforms as well. And we'll, we'll be out there bringing you guys the highlights of what we see, and we'll also do a, a daily update here on the podcast platform as well. So we're excited to get out there and excited to get to see the Con Expo again. This will be the first time we're going back uh, since COVID, and you know we expect it to be a heck of a show. Our guest here today, Scott, he's going to be out there as well, and uh, you know we'll do some media with him uh, as well as other people that we've had on the podcast before and, and some new people you haven't seen before, so we're super excited to get out there. It's going to be a huge show. Um, most everybody we saw at World of Concrete said that they're going back out there for Con Ag, and then we even know a bunch of people that skipped World of Concrete this year, which was a fantastic show because they were going to Con Ag. So uh, it, it's going to be full. It's uh, definitely going to be a lot to see, a lot of people to talk to, uh, and we'll try to bring you guys, our listening audience, uh, as much content as we possibly can for you. But in the meantime, we want to get to this episode here uh, without Paul and Joey. Uh, we're going we're gonna to skip the witty banter. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of talking to myself. So, uh, you know, in order to mitigate that, uh, I'm going to jump right into the episode here. So without any further ado, this is Scott Brown with the Construction Technology Partners Company. Y'all enjoy. We'd like to welcome into the show, Scott Brown. Thank you for joining us, sir. Yeah, absolutely. Good to be with you guys. Hey, man, I, I actually saw you in an uh, article in Equipment World. It's where I first discovered you and your company, and uh, it was the first time I'd seen anybody try to serve that niche, and uh, I'd love it if you'd explain to the audience here uh, what your company is and what that niche is that you set out to serve. Yeah, so uh, when we started off on this deal, we kind of stumbled into it. Um, kind of the, the thought process behind Construction Technology Partners, which is like after I write it on everything as the longest company name ever, I kind of wish we would have got a little more creative there, but I actually, I love the name, but when it comes to, you learn a lot about stuff after you do it. And we learned that that makes things a little difficult. Anyway. Um, so the idea was really, we wanted to be a partner to construction companies when it comes to their technology. Um, what we see, so we're, we're in the Kansas city metro area. So we're smack dab in the middle of the country. What we see is we have a lot of smaller contractors. We don't have as many big, uh, you know, I'm going to call them corporate type, you know, contractors. We have a lot of guys who, you know, they may have two to seven employees, you know, and then two to three pieces of equipment. So we have a lot of guys doing that kind of work. And what we saw is there was a lot of support and sales and service for your larger contractors, but there wasn't as much for the smaller contractors. So the kind of thought process was, hey, can we be that technology piece, you know, whether that's consulting or site services or training or whatever, can we help? A company that needs that technology piece of their business but doesn't necessarily need a full-time guy or have the ability to have a full-time guy or just help them get started 
And then as they grow, either we grow with them or they phase us out. And then we go on and do that with the next guy. Um, and we, it sounded crazy when we first started talking about it, but like our goal was to eliminate ourselves. And everyone's like, well, that's kind of crazy. It's like, well, if you understood, if you saw the market and understood and see what we see, there's so much opportunity that if I could eliminate, if I could do that with a company once a week, I still would have plenty of work. You know what I mean? It wasn't like I was going to, if I did it and after two years, I'm like, oh, I'm out of people. You know, there, there's so much opportunity. So that was kind of our goal, kind of our idea. And we've gone a lot of different directions. Uh, we're just, we're just two guys that started out and had a decent idea and we're trying to figure out how to make a business out of it and do the best job we can while doing that. Both my business partner and I have similar backgrounds. I started out working out of college as an equipment engineer for Kiwit, uh, did like equipment management and turned wrenches as well. I, I originally started working on cars, did that business for a while and realized that was not for me. Um, but over the years, I spent a lot of time uh, bending wrenches, same thing with my business partner. And so we saw that kind of part of the business and then we both worked for contractors. So we saw that side of the business and we both ended up working at the local cat dealer. And then and through the life cycle of doing that, uh, all the cat dealers own SciTech, which is the Trimble OEM dealers. And so both of us ended up working at SciTech and we both left there for varying reasons at similar-ish times. And after we left, we were getting a lot of calls from our customers just saying, hey, you know, we built with these relationships and we had customers, you know, saying, hey, I want to do this or I want help with this or where we really started seeing opportunity is I went to work for the Komatsu dealer doing primarily Topcon stuff. We had a lot of guys with mixed fleets that were trying to do different things and there just wasn't a lot of people out there that were capable or wanting to help them do that. You know, everyone was kind of in their lane of their brand, you know, mm. and we're like, I don't really care what color the machine is. I don't really care what brand or tech. You know, I've worked on every machine. I've worked with every technology. Like we'll help you with whatever you want. If you want us to do a takeoff, if you want us to set up a machine, if you want us to fix the machine, we just kind of started saying like, we'll do whatever, you know? And, uh, yeah, we did that kind of nights and weekends, you know, working out of a, you know, working at nine o'clock at night on equipment, just here and there for people helping them out. And then after about six months of doing that, we're like, I kind of think we got a business, you know? And, uh, my business partner, he was already pretty well in it. He was doing it pretty well full time. I mean, he was working with paving guys. He was probably working 90, hundred hours a week doing it. And then, uh, I had, I had a really good gig going. Um, it took me a little longer. I had a baby on the way, you know, it was kind of one of those things. It's like, is this, uh, is this really the time I want to jump out and do this? But I was like 30 and some change at the time. And I was like, you know what, you know, the market was going gangbusters. I was like, worst case, I fail miserably. I can probably, you know, get a job bending wrenches or, you know, whatever. I'll, I'll, I'll figure it out kind of thing, right? And so my wife is like, you know, do whatever you want to do. And uh, so she's always been there. You know, she's always been real trusting of me and my crazy ideas. And, uh, so yeah, so we partnered up about, it's just a little over three years ago now. In the course of this whole thing, we've, we've tried to sell a quick, well, we started out doing purely services. Purely services is a hard way to run a business. It's a hard way to make money and grow a business, you know what I mean? Because when there's only two of us, you, you just have to do a lot of service, you know? So we got the opportunity. We, we had people wanting to buy equipment from us. We went down that road a little bit, um, realized that that's not we're, – we're good at it, but it's just not something we have a lot of passion about doing. And so 
this year we're really starting to reshape our model and try to figure out you know where it is we want to go and how we can best serve the industry and do stuff that we're really passionate about doing and actually you know want to get out of bed and go tackle every day so man there's so much i love about all this i told you guys yeah. i said i said i'm pretty sure scott brown is like a mix you're really a mix of josh and joey as two human beings and then you bring in the 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 idea of like running a small business and stepping out there and the risk that takes and like the stress people just don't understand if you've never run a small business you just you just can't imagine i think everybody should do it because even if you did it for six months and then you go back to work for your employer you would have so much more respect respect and appreciation now and i'm not saying every employer is perfect and any of this kind of stuff but like you the level of respect you would have for your employer and the things they provide and do and security and benefits and all these other things your level of of appreciation for that would be way higher because when you when you eat what you kill man it's there's some pressure there you know and uh so I, tons tons of pressure and you had a you had a small baby at home two and of you, them. you got a buddy that's really, <laughs> two of them. oh my god so and and you you partner up with your friend yeah. so there's a little bit of like wanting to do it for him oh too, right? absolutely no i think there's there's days i mean everyone has days where you just don't you just don't have it you know what i mean like you just you get your butt like I <laughs> I play basketball on Sunday nights. I play a couple times during the week. Last night, getting ready to go play basketball. I I buy I'm cheap. I buy the Gatorade and the pre and like a little powder stuff where you mix it. Make up my big old thirty two ounce thing of Gatorade. Well, we didn't have that. We were out of it. We had these other things. I just grabbed them and put them in there because I just want a little flavor in there and some electrolytes, right? So I get home, I get home about 10.30, we play for about two hours, I get home, and I'm usually kind of jacked up after that anyway, it takes me a while to calm down. So I shower, I get in bed, everything, I'm laying there, it's like 11.30, and I'm just like wide awake, like cannot fall asleep. So I get up out of bed, I go, look, those little packets had 120 milligrams each of caffeine, and I was just, I was just <laughs> wired, and so I didn't go, to, I didn't go to bed till like two thirty last. I like, I fell asleep at like two thirty. Yeah, you pretty much just took like three Red Bulls to the dome and went and played yeah. basketball. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. It was a huge, huge mistake on my part. But uh, yeah, so, so I, I mean, I'm like today. I, you know, I got up and we got some pretty nice weather around here and got the kids kicked out of the house this morning and stuff. And I'm telling you, I just. I didn't have it this morning, but, you know, it's like, I want to get out and do this because, you know, it's just the two of us, but we, we work really good in that regards of, you know, everyone asks like, well, what if, what if he sells or makes more money this month or you make more? I'm like, I really don't care. You know I mean? We're 50, 50 partners. We're split down the middle. So it's in my best interest to do as much as I can and vice versa. So it works out really good. I couldn't have done it with anybody better. The guy's named Zach Moorhead. He's fantastic. Um, he, we, we, uh, if anyone ever goes into a venture, find someone different than you to do it with. So we we have very root level agreement about things, but he's very good at tasks at certain things that I'm not good at, and I'm good at things that he's not good at, and that works really well. And we butt heads over that kind of stuff, but at the end of the day, we're trying to do the same thing, and and so I we just got lucky. I mean, there was no real thought or planning behind it all. It was just kind of like, hey, you want to do this? And we're like, yeah, sure. And so it worked out, you know. Yeah, well, Sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. It can be, but I think, you know, we discussed this on previous podcasts where, in my opinion, the number one thing in order to be successful in business is you got to be able to hustle. Um, you've got to be able to put that work in. You have to grind. There's no substitute. 
uh, for making the phone calls. There's no substitute for getting into the job site. There's no substitute for answering your phone, sending that email. Uh, on your side, it's uh, packaging up the equipment, ordering supplies, making you know, making sure the the accounts our, our are balanced, phone, the taxes, the whatever it is. Like you just have to do the thing. And if you do the yep. thing, and you show up every day, day after day, year after year, you're going to end up being successful. And you mentioned it. It's got to be something you're passionate about. I think that's the biggest misconception about owning a business. You know, people look at these guys who start their businesses and, you know, they buy lake houses and they drive a nice truck and yada, yada, yada. But they're thinking, you know, they get to go, they get invited to go play in a golf tournament or whatever. It's like, okay, that's the stuff you see. You don't see them sitting there at midnight trying to figure out how they're going to pay their bills. You know what I mean? You don't see them going and trying to go to a vendor and say, hey, I need some of the $100,000 that you owe me. You know what I mean? Like, you know, it's you don't see any of that kind of stuff. And so it's it looks glamorous, and but many a times the, the people who are doing this stuff, it is a lot of work. Um, you know, I, I don't, the, I'll tell you the main reason I decided to do this was I had a, uh, let's see, she would have been two at the time, and then I had another one on the way. And for my whole life, I've been in the service industry, and I always got told where to go, what to do, and, you know, I honestly just got tired of someone else dictating how I was going to schedule my life. And so with my kids, I was like, well, I, you know, if I want to take them to school, if I want to be at this, or, or if I need to go out of town for three weeks, or a week, or ten days, like, I want to decide when that happens. And uh, so that's one of the reasons we did my business part the same way. He's got three kids, where they're all about the same age, and... Uh, so we did that because we wanted to make that a, a real important part of our business of, hey, we're going to manage our lives that work around our life, you know, and, and make this business work. But in doing that, you know, there's trade-offs, you know, if I if I get home at 4.30 so I can spend, you know, decent time playing outside and, and doing things with them, you know, most nights at 9 o'clock I go down, hop on the computer and I work from 9 to midnight, you know, and if I take two things of caffeine then i work till two o'clock you know what I mean? but, <laughs> well so there, there's you know there's trade-offs with everything yeah you should know too that like you're, you're speaking to like-minded people here man um you know there's certain goals that i have in my life and uh i very similar to yours like when i'm home i want to make sure you know people don't realize that sometimes that but you have kids and if they're school-aged kids especially like you've got from the time you get off work till they go to bed is sometimes by the time you get home, it might be an hour and a half, maybe yeah. two hours if you're lucky. And oh, in that in that time, you have to feed them, bathe them, and get them in bed, which is can be a chore sometimes in itself, right? So very little yeah. quality time that you can actually get. So I like to maximize that too. 100%. But as I try to achieve my other goals, that means that I, I can't remember the last time I went to bed before 11 because I'm working too, whether it's uh, other things or for this job. And you're talking to Josh here. Uh, Josh turned a wrench his whole life. Still does it. He does it for fun. I mean, don't get him started on that. <laughs> he does it for fun. But yeah, you know, he he. Well, your first job coming out of school was uh, Fastenal, and you were thinking about working for Snap On or stuff like that. But yeah, threw around those those ideas. And you know, I I grew up around racing, so I got friends in the industry, and I always had uh, offers to go out on the road with race teams and stuff like that. But it's just, it's a lot like. It's a, the perception is different than reality. A lot like when you work at a garage or or anything, you know what I mean. Like if it's your job every single day, it's no longer your hobby, kind of deal. And the guys that are going to racetracks every other day, I mean that's the fun part. But being in a truck for eighteen hours straight, being dirty constantly, 
Um, you don't get paid that much. There's no benefits. There's really no future in it. You just kind of, you you know. I commented on somebody's Instagram or something the other day because a big part of my career was welding. I've done a lot of welding and fabricating. And uh, I absolutely, it's one of my favorite things in the world to do. But I said, welding is a fantastic hobby and a terrible job. Yep, 100%. It, it, I, I love everything about it, but man, when you do it for a job, it changes your thoughts on it because <laughs> it's it's a very hard job. Um, so, yeah, you got to be careful of that. A lot of people try to turn hobbies into businesses, and then it takes you you lose the fun. You know what I mean? So that's that. It's very easy to have happen. Well, and then you got Joey over here. Joey, his first job out of college, he actually got the same degree I did. We both went to Middle Tennessee State. Both got a concrete degree. His first job was out on a paving train. He worked for a concrete paving company, and so uh, he—that's brutal. That's brutal. He, he understands when you're talking about uh, <laughs> when you're talking about that side of the business. I mean, you got a guy in Joey who who can empathize with every bit of that. I'd like to understand what kind of work is your company doing. I love that you're bridging that technology gap because I've always wondered personally. I've always thought, you know, you got a bunch of concrete guys who probably don't know anything about technology, and we're we're adding all this technology into the industry, there's got to be somebody there to train them. There's turnover. Somebody's got to come in and retrain them. You know, some people might have uh, multiple types of equipment, multiple brands, because they just buy used stuff at the best price, and the systems aren't talking to each other. And, and you're you're bringing some of that, you're bringing people together, and you're helping to do that. So uh, let's talk for a second about the paving side. Uh, what are you doing for the paving guys out there? So we don't... We, so early on, we served what intelligent compaction. In Midwest is big asphalt paving, not a lot of white paving. Um, so you know a lot of these a lot of these states are riding into spec now. You have to use intelligent compaction. So just briefly, intelligent compaction is basically you know they lay down the mat, and as we're rolling the mat, we're capturing data off. We're calling it density. We're not truly measuring density, but we're we're measuring the inputs so that we can try to achieve a specified density off like a test mat, right? But we're basically measuring all the inputs, mat temperature, what we're compacting it at, the density, and then how many passes we made. So basically this technology is mapping where that roller goes over the mat, right? And then so we know we know we can tie all the rollers together, and then we can look back and say, you know, if our test mat, if we were supposed to do five passes on it, right, we can look back when really, honestly, what it truly is, is the state's trying to get data that they can point back at the contractors and say, you didn't do this right. Full transparency. <laughs> that's what I personally think we is know. going on. Oh, but, we know. Yeah. Wait till our next yeah. special comes out. <laughs> our next special yeah. episode release. Yeah. So, but at the same time, if used properly, this data is very useful for, con- you know, for these contractors to understand how they could get better. Right. Um, so we started out doing that. Was, Zach was deep into that. Uh, on early on when that was really before it was even in spec and and uh put out there and so he did a ton of that and honestly we got away from it just because of all the things we talked about it's at night the hours are crazy you're in live traffic um it's a hard it's a hard job i have all the respect in the world for anyone who does paving i've been around concrete paving and asphalt paving in metropolitan areas out in the middle of nowhere in rural counties it's a hard, hard job. One of my good friends who just lives down the street from me, paving superintendent for one of the contractors here in town. I mean, when I hear about his day versus my day, my day's not so bad. You know, it's just, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a very difficult business. So when it comes to the paving side of things, 
I don't think the industry has a really solid, from a technology standpoint, structure. What we're seeing though is companies like Gameco, Verkin, GZ, you know, these guys are investing heavily in technology from the, you know, we're talking from the OEM level in conjunction with Leica is a big player like with Gameco. Um, you're seeing a lot of TopCon stuff, Trimble as well. But that stuff is very top down. So when you're buying a new paver, you know, it's coming with Leica on it and your training's coming from Gameco or Leica or whoever you're, you know, whoever, whatever that OEM, it's way more OEM support. The reason I think that is, is because a lot of like us, we would never take on concrete paving just because there's so much liability. You know what I mean? Um, you know, you get, you get some dirt grade wrong. Yeah. I mean, that's, that sucks, but it's not that big a deal, right? If we got to go cut a, you know, recut a parking lot, it's money, it's real money. But at the same time, it's nothing like, uh, yeah, we just paved this super, you know, we got the, you know, we got the super elevation wrong and all of a sudden <laughs> we got one side's a foot and a half high. You know what I mean? So, um, and it's just the, it's just, it's just the, it's, it's big money, but you also have to have a company that has the resources to properly support it because it's not a, you know, nine to five deal by any means. So more what where we're seeing on the con, like, especially not so much, but more like flat work guys. So all the building guys, all the flat work guys are pretty much starting to do their loan layout. I've seen a ton of that. So instead of, they're basically coming out, the surveyor's gonna set control on the job. And a lot of the big companies around here, they're laying out their own anchor bolts, they're laying out all their own duck bank, they're laying out all kinds of stuff. And I think that's the direction the industry's gonna go because it reduces bottlenecks. You assume some liability, but I think it reduces some bottlenecks and it's gonna be interesting to see. And there's companies that are doing it well, and we'll get more into what I think you need to do to do that well, you know. Um, yeah, let's go into it now. And just real quick, on the on these commercial jobs or these, uh, like, buildings in town or these, like, warehouses specifically, anything specific? Oh, man. So we have, yeah, commercial work. The big, we, have, we call them Amazon buildings, but, they're, you know, these half-million square foot warehouses. I mean, these things are going up like Dollar Generals around here. It's wild. <laughs> you guys have Dollar General? Am I yeah, speaking? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Everyone right. knows. We, we just making with, sure everyone knows American, what DG is. Okay. <laughs> All right. No, just making sure. I, I've been I've been around the country, but, you know, you never know. Like, certain places don't have, like. I, well, and we got Amazon warehouses well, popping up like you well, do, too. Well, we got QT one to sponsor. There you go. Yeah, QT. Yeah. So that was when I <laughs> when I moved to Kansas City, I learned about uh, QT and it was like my first experience into like gas stations oh, yeah. being like stores on the inside and service being a thing. Yeah. It, Pennsylvania, they got yeah. the same thing. It's, they got Wawa. That's what they got. Yeah, oh, yeah. Wawa. Oh, man. Wawa's the best. <laughs> That's right. That's so. right. <laughs> you could do a full episode on, ga on gas station culture, man. I, I get in on that. Yeah. I definitely then, get in on that. And then the that. South can't take a loss for too long. They're like, all right, well, we got Bucky's now. So <laughs> checkmate. Dude, Bucky's isn't even like, it's, I don't even think it's like, did they put gas pumps out there just so they can be called a gas station? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was wondering where he was hey, going with yeah, that. I was, I was like, whoa, you're about to throw Bucky's. Oh, shade. no. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm gonna put it out here just on record that I think in five years you can you'll be able to have like have a, have a hotel room in a Bucky's. <laughs> I think that's the next that's the next obvious progression is they're gonna just be like you know what you can stay the night here, you know, and they'll they'll have they'll have like they'll have like a little motel deal out back motel Bucky's. Doors on the outside, nobody would know it. I'll probably be that's wrong, right. but at least if I'm right, then it's out there. So. Yeah. 
Uh, okay, yeah, so I'll get back on. Um, but, you know, what we're seeing what it takes. So I think that if I could sum up everything of what we're trying to get contractors to do and where I think we get in the most trouble is we're trying to get people to be proactive instead of reactive. I'd say 70% of the phone calls we get is because something went wrong. There was a problem. You know, we got like a drone service and we do these other things, but a lot of this stuff happens because people are just reacting to problems and there is there's no proactivity in the market, you know what I mean? Um, and so I think, I think if I'd sum everything up that we're trying to get people to understand is just how can your company be proactive when it comes to technology instead of reactive? And I think the flood of new technology in the market has not allowed people to be proactive because it's as soon as you think you got something figured out, there's a whole new thing, you know? So um, I think just the industry as a whole needs to do a better job. Um, but that that's the biggest thing I see is everything is just so so reactive. We're we're very good at fixing problems and we're not so good at trying to prevent problems. So what give, give a good example here cuz I think you've hit on something we've talked about a few times is that you, you don't want to be reactionary if you can help it. You definitely want to solve things on the front end. Uh, what's what's a good example in the general contractor world of these commercial jobs that something they could do Perfect perfect example. So I've got I've got two different versions of contractors. So guys we've been working with a long time versus guys that, you know, are fairly new to it. So the new guy, we we use this GPS site technology, right? So they're bidding a job. Let's say let's say they just won the bid, okay? So during this bid process, they used a topo or some information that could have been anywhere we see this all the time, five, eight, ten years old, right? Okay, so you really wanted this bid, you think you got your numbers right. So, new guy just goes in, goes in, starts clearing and grubbing and doing stuff. And he's already got machines out there, site hasn't been set up, his model's getting built, yada, yada, yada. Two, three weeks into the job, we get out there, surveyor hasn't set control, model's not ready. There's guys on site, they're trying to, they're trying to put stuff on grade, they're trying to put stockpile somewhere, they don't really know where anything's going. And all of a sudden, we're moving stuff two and three times. By the time we get everything we need for the model, get the site set up, and get the machines rocking and rolling out there, they're, they're already a month or two into this project, maybe more, you know? And they're not getting – you're getting some benefit, but you're not you're not getting the full ROI out of that equipment, right? So take, like, uh, the guys, you know, this is what we preach to our people is, one, in the bid phase, before you ever bid a job – whether that means flying it with a drone or going out and doing your own topo or verifying things on the plans, that time, that one to ten hours, whatever you spend on it, it could be worth you not bidding a job that's going to kick your butt. Or we've done this a couple times where, like, I went out and looked at a neighborhood job. It was like phase 13 of this neighborhood expansion. And uh, it was pretty obvious when I pulled up that all the basements from the first 12 phases got dumped on 13. Well, the topo that we got d did not indicate that, right? So we went and flew the drone, got some data, and they were able to go to the owner before anything was struck and said, "Hey, I understand this is the date, you know, this is what you gave us to bid on, but this is what we think's out there. We'd like to give you a number for that." And the owner says, "Yep, boom, they got it, easy peasy. That was all done on day one, as opposed to day one hundred. 
that conversation is way easier on day one than it is on day 100 when you've already built out a million dollars or whatever, you know? Um, so it's just that being, you know, and I think a lot of this, we're so reactive because if it's working, we're making money. Are we really going to try to change everything? No. And then two, I think just we could talk all day about the limited number of people, but everyone's everyone's doing a lot already. So you're telling me I got to do more stuff, you know, to, to get out in front of this stuff. I think that gets pretty difficult. So they just, it's, it's not that people don't want to do it. It's just, there's not necessarily, uh, Hey, here's steps one through 10 of what you need to do so that you can go be more productive and more proactive, you know, when it comes to using technology on these jobs. And I think that's, what's going to happen over the next, you know, we're seeing it now, but there's a saturation in the market that's already happened with technology. That's what I think was happening over the last five years as we were trying to saturate the market. Now there's a saturation. People are going to have to go, okay, if I really want to get the most out of this, I got to get efficient and utilize this stuff, not, not buy more of it. You know what I mean? So that's personally what I think is going to happen. And it's a, uh, I always kind of use the, I, I like to play golf. I'm not good at golf, but I like to play golf. Um, you know, it's the, it's the it's the thought process of should you buy new golf clubs or should you get lessons, <laughs> and you know, it, most people it's way more fun to buy new golf clubs. Like it's super fun to go buy new golf clubs, but it's not going to make you that. It may slightly improve your game, but it's not going to make you better. You can spend a fraction of the price on lessons, and you'll get way more out of that than you will going and buying the shiny new golf club that you're probably going to duck hook into the trees anyway. So. <laughs> Um, that's, that's kind of how I've been trying to break it down to people to understand, you know, I mean, we really want to, I really want to be the, the guy giving the lessons, not the guy selling the golf clubs is kind of how I'm trying to simplify it down for what we're attempting to do with the market. I tell you, Scott, I just got my shiny new irons, so I will let you know when it warms up. <laughs> you know what? And last night when I was not sleeping, you know what I was doing? I was looking at golf clubs. Yeah. So I, I'm just... <laughs> I, that's why that's why I preface it and said it like three times during. It's super fun to buy the new golf clubs. Like totally get it, no judgment. But at the same time, if you really step back and say, I've been doing both. I've been doing lessons, and now I feel like I'm to a point where I can buy the new irons. I'm playing on like ten year old clubs right now. You know what I mean? And uh, that's the thing. It's it's pretty mind blowing. If you get the right gear, it can make a world. And that goes back to like what we're talking about here. I see this all the time. Of people not understanding what it is they're trying to do and they don't get the right gear for what they're trying to do, you know, and where they get, they get undersold, oversold, or just straight down the wrong path. Um, and so I've watched so many people that they, you know, a perfect example is like, I, a lot of our smaller contractors, I do not try to push them right into GPS unless it really makes sense for them. You know, a lot of guys, I'm like, man, if you can, if you can get a laser system for your skid steer box blade and get used to like just understanding how that works and hitting the button, you know, and you're spending 20 grand as opposed to spending 120 grand, like understand that process and how it applies to you. And then why I tell everyone too, I'm like, if, if it was me and I'm in your shoes, the first time I'm going to do anything with technology, I'm going to rent it. I'm going to rent cat with a Trimble system. I'm going to rent a Komatsu with a Topcon system. And make it very clear to your your sales guy or whoever it is that, hey, I need training, I need support, I need help. You know, schedule all that up front and talk about that kind of stuff. That was my job when I worked at the Komatsu dealer. I was a TSE, a technical solutions expert. My whole purpose at that dealership was that when someone was 
wanting to learn about a machine and the sales process, wanting to rent a machine or, bu or bought a machine. My whole job was just to support their technology journey and make sure that they had everything they needed, that their sites were set up properly, their people were trained up. And I'm telling you, it worked. That's a lot. Of, I took a lot of that into what we do now. And it, the, the experience is a million times better. I don't know how many demos I did early on when we were doing this stuff. And we would just get out there, the machine would show up, we'd have like umpteen problems, and all of a sudden it's like 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and we haven't moved a piece of, like we haven't moved an ounce of dirt. That's a, So a lot of people early on got really bad taste in their mouth about GPS because they were like, well, it's cool, but like it's really hard to use. It's like, no, we just made it look really hard to use. You know what I mean? That kind of stuff I think is, is, is essential, but like I think so many people want to go buy the new golf club that they don't do the time researching and, and all that kind of stuff. They they get in a spot where like I landed this big job, I got to move all this dirt by this time, I need stuff now. Uh, this guy told me this is the best. Okay, get it out here. I'll write you a check. You know, and uh, so that that's at least what I see. And I know different parts of the world are different. I got friends in lots of different places, and one of my favorite things is just talking about the industry about how it changes from east coast to west coast and through linkedin i've made some good contacts over in like europe it blows me away the way they do things versus the way we do things australia same thing um so but that's one thing that i think that's cool about like what you guys are doing with with linkedin just the the sharing of experiences i think is going to kind of open people's minds to go oh maybe there is another way to do it you know what i mean like we don't have to do this this way that i've always done it you know um so I think this is a good thing, but it doesn't mean it's going to happen overnight by any means. Scott, you were talking about uh, technology kind of saturating the market, and that's what's going on right now. That's kind of what Josh and I saw out at World of Concrete. There is a giant hall dedicated to what probably 80 to 90% of it was tech, I would, I'd be willing to say. Do you foresee the technology uh, aspect of the industry kind of consolidating like so many other aspects, like with equipment? I would imagine several decades ago there were oodles of equipment companies, and now they've consolidated to a handful of big ones. Uh, and we see that a lot with admixtures now. There's only a couple admixture yep. companies left now. I think I think it's exactly what's going to happen. One of the reasons I got into technology, I was working in the cat dealer. I was in the uh, shop, and they started rolling through these machines that had integrated technology on them and nobody wanted to work on them. And I was like, well, I mean, I'm, I'm dumb enough. I'll work on them. <laughs> and so I started working on these machines and I got pretty good at them and I kind of became the guy that worked on that stuff. Right. But my brain was like, if cats rolling this stuff out from the factory, like they're going to put it on everything, you know, and it's not going to be today. It's not going to be tomorrow, but in five years, six years, 10 years, whatever that number is, it's going to be on everything. And so that was in, six seven years ago and so i, I was i was kind of right and so at that time that's when i i found the job opening for SciTech and i made the jump i actually took a pay cut to go out of the shop to go work for SciTech because i thought if i can become an early adopter of this you know there was people who did this way before i did i mean this stuff's been around since the 80s you know what i mean but i thought if i can figure this out before everybody else does you know i got a better opportunity of of advancing in this deal right and uh but that's what I saw. So Caterpillar's putting all this money into it. But I think a lot of these dealers were slow to adopt it because they didn't really understand it. But what you're seeing now, dealers are putting tons of money into it. OEMs are putting oodles of money into it. Every Just like all these tech companies and our AI companies, all the, all the OEM manufacturers want to be 
technology company. You know, they want to have the best technology, right? And so I think that's good, but it does beg to your question of like, what is going to happen with the aftermarket industry with towards the end user? How does that get better? What I've seen so far is a lot of people are hesitant to move to the OEM integrated equipment because the dealers, not all the dealers, but I'd say the vast majority of the dealers don't have as qualified of a support network as the aftermarket dealers because the aftermarket dealers have been doing it a lot longer and are more specified to just that. They're not trying to sell tractors and fix them and all that. So I think as soon as the dealers become as good or better than the um, aftermarket dealers, I think it's all over after that because everything's going to consolidate. Dealers are going to buy up all the aftermarket dealers and bring their people on. It's already, I mean, that's already happening, but it's going to, once, once the dealers get good enough that they can support it, everything I think is, there still be aftermarket solutions, but I mean, we're seeing this on solar pile drivers, drilling rigs. I mean, you, there's not a piece of equipment that you can name that the OEM is not figuring out how to put some sort of technology on that machine. And they're doing that. They're not, there's some development in-house, but a lot of it is they're partnering with the Topcon, a Leica, a Stonex, a, you know, whoever to do this. And so I think there will definitely be a consolidation. I don't know to what degree. I personally think that these basin rover systems, total stations, lasers are going to get to the point where the industry has gotten young enough and technologically advanced enough that it'll, it'll all get commoditized. So if you want a new basin rover, instead of calling your salesman and going to lunch and filling out a sales agreement and talking about this and what options and everything you want, you're going to get on your phone, you're going to get on Amazon, you're going to pick out exactly what you want, you're going to boom, and in Prime, well, it used to be two days, now it's like two-ish days, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it'll it'll be on your front doorstep, and the guy using it is going to be so well-versed in it, because there's so much information out there, and they've been doing it for long enough, that they'll just open the thing up, and they'll go to work, they'll do their update, you know, whatever they got to do, um, so I, I think... That's why we're trying to evolve our, uh, I don't have any desire to be in the sales game. I think it's a part of the business because it's part of supporting the customers is getting them the right thing. But I, I truly believe, and like I said, I don't, I don't think this is two years, but I think it's probably more like a five or six year deal. You're going to see the hardware, especially the hardware and the software is going to get commoditized. Basically, you're going to buy the hardware and then you're going to get online and whatever software package you want for you know, fifty nine ninety nine a month or two hundred dollars a month or whatever your choice is, you'll be able to pick that. And then I think it's gonna it's gonna get easier. I don't know necessarily better, but I do think it's gonna the that saturation is gonna just get to a point where it commod it, it forces everything to commoditize because you can't. It's so fractious right now. You know what I mean? Because there's so many people of you have to do this or you have to do this. You have to go down these different lanes and it makes it very difficult. And I think it's one of the things that scares and turns a lot of people off to technology. I just hope they can make it simple because one of the things we've run into in concrete world, there is a certain type of concrete you can do. They're called volumetric trucks. Oh yeah. All right. So they're, they're blowing up around here. Yeah. They're blowing up. I uh, yeah, the middle of the country more than anywhere, but uh, yeah. Texas all the way up the plains. What's interesting 
about them is the new trucks are loaded with technology. But when you go to like access the control panel and you want to do anything on it, it's the most complicated thing you've ever seen. You got to have a PhD to operate these things. And I say, like, do you do you not yep. know who you're serving? <laughs> like, what are, what are we doing? Why is it this complicated? It's it's unbelievably complicated. Are you seeing anything similar when you're talking about when they're putting these systems on cats and Kubotas? Yeah, the the software, the user interface, whatever you want to call it. I've had I've had a good fortune of talking and meeting a lot of the engineers who help design this stuff, and. Uh, some of the most brilliant individuals you'd ever meet in the world and they understand the business they understand the market but i would i would say that they don't truly understand the end user you know of people who are using it you know what i mean and i think all the companies try to do that but i just don't think unless you're out there every day working in the trenches you know and understanding what people are trying to do it's just a really hard thing to do but we've also had the, the good fortune of working with a lot of these companies when they come out with new softwares. We've got to beta test a lot of stuff and try a lot of new things. And that's always our feedback is like, if it takes more than like two or three buttons to do whatever you're wanting to do, just don't do it. Like there's gotta be a simpler way. I would say, you know, if you put a hundred features on some, on some device, most people are using maybe 12 of them. Yeah, yeah you know? that's what that's what we saw with the volumetric trucks. This panel had seven buttons on one side, seven buttons on the other side. And it click, 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 click. He had to go through yep. this incredible X, Y, Z, left, right, up, down, you know, triangle <laughs> to enter in the, the cheat yeah. code to make this thing spit out concrete. And then I was like, oh, wow, what do all these buttons do? He's like, I have no idea. I just know that I need to <laughs> yeah. hit that cheat code to make concrete move. And I was like, wow. Wow, just so complicated. Yeah, and I no, and it's so true. And I, I, you know, I've been trying to tell the people who I talk to that which they don't care about my opinion, but I try to tell them anyway. (laughs) Of you know, I don't know why. So they have these, you know, all these technology companies want to sell software. If you look at how their, you know, their reoccurring revenue is what really drives the value of their business, right? Mm -hmm. So. Software, if you look at all these packages, they're all going to these subscription models where you're paying per month for something or per year or whatever, right? And what I'm like, and and some of them are starting to do it, but I'm like, why can you not have an entry-level software package? You know, if you have 100 features, why can't a guy not buy one that has 20? The 20 most common use features, you know, and then you have different levels of user that go beyond and above that, right? Because I think that's what happens is we just, people get overwhelmed and buried with stuff and at the same time you know they're like well we didn't know how to how to design this i'm like make it look like my phone like everyone carries a phone around every day like the more you make it look like a phone the more people are going to pick up and use it but all this being said too when i go to train operators i love when i climb in a cab and i'm like you know there's a young kid in there and he's 19 years old or whatever I show him a couple things and he's like, he'll play around for me. He's like, okay, I'm good. You know, he's like, I got it. And I'm like, oh, oh, okay, well, call me if you need anything. I'll follow up a day or two later. How are you getting along? Oh, I figured out how to do this and I figured out how to do that and this. I'm like, okay, awesome, you know. And then and then vice versa, you get, you know, a, you know, a 50-plus guy in there. He's calling you every 20 minutes like, hey, I hit this button. What do I do? You know, it's like, you know, so I think, at, like, going back to the saturation and the, and the adoption and all that and the, the get stuff getting commoditized, I, I think the companies that are going to win are the companies that make it easy, just like you're talking about, 
you know, and like you said, with this boom of volumetric trucks, you know, you got all these guys that are designing stuff and just putting it out there, you know, you'll see that market will narrow and who's ever has this, the best system is most reliable and is the easiest to use. They'll win. You know what I mean? The other ones, they're not going to go away, but that, that company will win. Right. And I think that's the thing that if these guys understand the simpler you make it, the better it's going to be. Um, and then adding that level of, of functionality, I think is a big one that I don't think has been grasped a lot. They just want to, you know, and it, it, I think it's a business case and they don't want to break it out and make it more difficult, but I just see so many people get technology that they pay a bunch of money for and then they use such a fraction of it. And I think that's just a, a hard pill to swallow, you know? Absolutely, man. Hey, I really appreciate you being here. I feel like we could, we could make this a Joe Rogan episode and go four hours. Here, but. <laughs> oh yeah. No, I, that's, I, I can talk about this stuff all day long and I, and I, I appreciate you guys doing this. I think this is the kind of stuff we have to do. Um, we have to just talk about our experiences and, and what we're seeing and, and, just be honest about it. One of my favorite things about being my you know own boss and and getting to do what we do is every time I sit down with somebody, I just give them my honest opinion. You know, and there's no real bias behind it or one way or the other. You know, other than just my experiences, and that's been like looking back at all the things. That's one of been one of my favorite things that I've got to do out of this whole thing is I don't feel like I have this like Kamatsu or Cat or I have I don't have this brand on my shirt. You know what I mean? Um, that says, hey, I have to tell you about this product. I'm just going to tell you my honest opinion of what I think is best for you and where you're at. And that's been pretty rewarding. I like that. And we're actually doing a – we'll be at Con Expo. Zach and I, we're working with AEM. Uh, AEM owns Con Expo, Association of Equipment Manufacturers. We're doing an event called Tech Treks. So basically you can sign up for it. It costs money. I don't know how much. But what we'll be doing is we'll be walking around the West Hall, going to all the different uh, manufacturers and talking about their technology and what it is and what they're doing. Um, but that was one of the things that I think appealed to AM is we're kind of brand agnostic, you know what I mean? And the fact that, you know, we just want what's best for who's ever buying it, you know? Yeah, no, that's awesome. We'll, we'll be at the ConAg as well. We actually have uh, press passes for, well, we did, oh, we did for World of Concrete and we will for ConAg this year as well where we have press passes and, and we actually do a lot of work for the podcast going around uh creating content interviewing people and uh if someone has something interesting that they want to promote to the industry we we use our platform to help them do so so yeah i love it man yeah you guys can follow us around yeah i don't i, I don't i don't know we're it's the first time they've ever done it and they're like you guys think you can do it i'm like i'm like well, well yeah we'll knock it out of the park i don't know what we're going to do or how we're going to do it but we'll we'll do a dang good job i guarantee you that yeah. so yeah well when we're there we'll put a camera in your face and then we're obligated to buy you a beer so we'll uh, we'll do it that way i'm i'm good with all that i'll clean my beard up a little before then i'm, I'm looking a little <laughs> don't matter. looking a little gruff don't matter me you look you, podcast. you look you work in the business what it looks like um, yeah. you know hey i tell you we we got one question that we ask every guest on the first time on the podcast, and okay. that is, what is the craziest thing you've ever seen on a job site? Oh, man. And that uh, is everyone's immediate reaction. Is, that's, the, I, that's the thing. That's one thing that's cool about this business is, like, you're not, you're not in a cubicle. You know, you're, like, you see a lot of wild stuff, and I've, I've seen a lot of wild stuff. Some of the stuff the employer's probably don't want me to talk i'll talk i'll talk about one i'll keep it fairly generic yeah, but you can admit the this one's probably this one's probably the most memorable just because of how it, at the time it was just the wildest thing so i was working in south texas in a fabrication yard we were building big pipe racks that go like in refineries and stuff 
I was a mechanic at the time, had a service truck, and I'm working on a man lift next to one of these pipe racks. And all of a sudden, I just hear this noise. I can't really describe what it was, but it was, you know, sheer panic, you know, just that, that weird noise of something's not right. And I look over, and it's a, a Z-Boom 45-foot JLG, right? A little orange JLG man lift. Guy's working up inside this pipe rack. And the the thing is sitting there, and the wheels are spinning, and this thing's, like, hopping up and down, just, like, bouncing up and down, bouncing up and down. Well, the basket had got caught up in the pipe rack, and the travel lever got stuck. The guys, the guys, fortunately, you know, he, we didn't know if he was hurt at the time, but he's like laying down in the basket and this thing's just sitting there hopping up and down. So I run over there and about two other guys meet me about the same time. And there's a, there's a emergency shut down switch on the, on the chassis of the man lift, but it's bouncing up and down. So I'd like channel my inner Bruce Lee and I jump up and I try to punch this thing and I miss and so about the third attempt i finally hit the emergency stop and this thing stops and so we took another man lift up there and we got him down and got him out but it had peeled the basket of this man lift open like three four feet it was just like peeling it open but the whole time the travel lever was stuck down and uh he was perfectly fine nothing was really damaged i mean obviously the man lift was damaged but you know, it worked out, everyone was good, but it was just one of those things that I can just vividly remember it, like all the different details, because it was just wild of like the, the, everything that lined up for that crazy event to happen. So yeah, that's probably the, that, that's probably the one that, uh, and I was like, I don't know, it was cool at the time. I was probably like 22, you know, I thought I was, I thought I'd like saved a man's life and I thought I was pretty cool, you know, so but yeah, that was pretty neat. I've got I've got a ton of other ones, but that one that one's pretty good. And that one's pretty crazy. Yeah, that's great. I think you know soon that is really great, and it is interesting how many stories come from people when they were first in the business. I think it shocks us when we first see something crazy and we're like, wow. Yes. Like it's a miracle that more people aren't hurt. It's a miracle that more buildings don't fall down. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. you know, there's a lot of miracles happening out there. Uh, it's so true. I think the more time you spend in the industry, when you see something that's you know, would have you been like, oh, that's jacked up, and you're kind of just like, ah, yeah, that. You've seen the meme going around. That happens on these big jobs, you know. <laughs> like, we we say that we say that all the time now because it's like, oh, that'll happen on these. It's like a truck flipped upside down. You're like, oh, that happens on these big jobs. You know? <laughs> that's <But> great. <laughs> that's that's probably my favorite meme I've seen, and like only people in the construction industry get that. But I think it's hilarious because it's so true. That's so good. Well, hey man, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, if you had anything else for the audience before we get out of here. Uh, any, any last hurrahs we'll find you at Conag anything else we need to know no the only thing I would say is just you know uh, be open have conversations um, don't be afraid to try new things I think that's a big thing is you know one of the reasons I we've you know uh, gained some credibility with people is because we're willing to try and do new things and, and, and when it fails we go yeah that failed you know so just try new things and talk to different people and, and uh, yeah I think there's the opportunity is is endless at this point i mean there our industry is you know high in demand for work and low in people to do it so anything you want to do is available out there love it man well said thanks again so much for joining us yeah i appreciate you guys take care man see you scott later all right and that's going to do it for this episode of the ad 10 gallons concrete podcast one final thank you to scott for coming on the show and uh, providing us with all his wisdom and experience and knowledge on the technical side and the tech servicing side of the concrete industry. 
As he mentioned in this, in this episode, uh, he will be at the Con Ag Show in Las Vegas during the week of March 14th, and we will be as well. So if uh, you listening audience out there, if you're going to be at the Con Ag Expo in Las Vegas this year, be sure to hit us up uh, through direct messaging on any of our social media platforms. That's LinkedIn, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook. Also, uh, you know, stay tuned into those for video and as well as podcast updates from each day that we're out at the Con Ag Expo. Uh, we'll keep you up to date on all the cool stuff that we see going on out there if you aren't able to make it. Um, and in the meantime, you know, stay tuned into our social media pages for you know, clips and news and anything that we find interesting as we try to bring you guys as much content as we can. Big thanks to ActiGel 208 for the presenting sponsor as well. Uh, be sure to leave a like, a five-star review, and a comment. Tell your friends about us as we continue to grow our listening audience. We appreciate each and every one of you guys. And uh, you know, until next time, y'all be good.